We are in Surah Al-Fatir, Surah number 35, and Ayah number 9. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. والله الذي أرسل الرياح فتثير صحابة فسقناه إلى بلد ميت فأحينا به الأرض بعد موتها كذلك النشور السورة السورة الفاطر والله سبحانه وتعالى تذكرس الآيات التي تتعلق بالتوحيد that show that he is the original creator of the heavens and the earth <coughs> and that when he created he created without a blueprint but as creation occurs he then gives us a blueprint for future events this what this ayah is saying Allah is the one who sends the winds. All the winds we see on earth, they are regulated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command and the angels then steer them the way they are supposed to. But the Sahaba, the winds then generate and inspire or um, stir up the clouds then we drive them or drag them towards a land that is dead which is brown and dry which is in need of greenery and so on so the word mayit refers to the land being barren or the land being arid and dry after it's dead so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the parable of the winds and the clouds and then the rain to show us that just as we may revive land on earth, likewise we will revive the dead after the dead die. So since man has been created from the earth, from the turab, man can also be resurrected the way land and the Turab is resurrected by rain in this world. So, so the idea there is that here we do have a blueprint post-creation. Before creation, Allah subhanahu wa created everything without a blueprint. But as he creates, he gives man a blueprint with which he can work and then understand and decide that this is how he is going to recreate so this is the basic idea in this ayah there's one way to look at the ayah the other way to look at the ayah is that in this world uh, there are human beings who are dead yeah. and they have dead souls and they have dead minds and they have a dead psyche and a dead conscious and Allah then sends rain in the form of knowledge in the form of inspiration in the form of guidance and gives 
those people, their minds, their ruh, their conscious life, and they come into the fold and they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness and that's how they are now revived. Which is another way to see the ayah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ability to create again without a blueprint and to be the originator of creation. Man kanu yuridu al-izzata falillahi al-izzatu jami'ah. Ilayhi yas'adu al-kalimu al-tayyibu wal-amalu al-salihu yurfa'u. Wal-ladhina yamkuruna sayyat lahum adhabu shadeed. Wa makru ulaika huwa yaburu. Whoever seeks and desires might and power and honor, then let him know that might and power and honor is indeed in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it belongs to Allah. All of it, jami'ah. Why is this? Because it is to him alone that the good word uh, rises and then the good deed Allah then raises. So there are two issues here. One is the good word, al-kalim al-tayyib, or the good words, and the second is the good deed, which we will, inshallah, highlight briefly. Those who conspire and those who plot uh, evil, then they will be faced with a very severe punishment. So this is in the, the overall big picture that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a system of uh, governance in this world. Okay. So in this world, the governance obviously belongs to those who have might and power. Okay. There's no doubt in that. Might is right, as we all know nowadays. That is very apparent. Okay. That this might and this right to govern and to control and to exploit and to manipulate and everything else is limited. It does not ascend to the heavens. So you may have might and power on earth, but you won't have might and power in the heavens. Therefore, the word jami'a means that the total complete ability to control everything in the universe, in the cosmos, belongs only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So their might and power, their control, their manipulation is short-lived, maybe 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, maybe 500 years, it doesn't matter. It's still compared to what happens in the heavens, it is very, very minute and minuscule. That is why at the end of the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to those who now conspire and plot with evil and through evil, meaning their evil deeds, uh, no doubt to get them to a place and position where they're able to do what they think they can do. But eventually, on the day of judgment and eventually uh, after resurrection and eventually when they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no honor, there is no might, there is no power. They'll be rendered hopeless and helpless in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the middle, there is this issue of the good word or the good words ascending. So good words by nature ascend. And good deeds 
that they have to be raised, they have to be elevated. So good deeds are elevated on the back of good words. The good word being, La ilaha illallah. It's in the tafsir of this ayah. We see the word La ilaha illallah being used. La ilaha illallah, which is the essence of every good deed, is the good word and the good words that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows to rise by themselves. Okay? Because they're by nature uh, rising. They'll always rise. There's no other way to explain this except that actually the intrinsic nature of la ilaha illallah is to rise as is mentioned in Surah Ibrahim alayhi salatu salam. وَمَثَرَ كَلِمَةٍ طَيِّبَةٍ كَشَجَرَةٍ طَيِّبَةٍ أَصْلُهَا ثَابِتٍ وَفَرْعَهَا فِي السَّمَاءِ The example of a good word is the example of a good tree whose roots are firmly established in the ground and the branches are far reaching into the heavens. Okay? So that is La ilaha illallah also. La ilaha illallah meaning Tawheed. As I mentioned, this is Surah where we elaborate upon the issues of Tawheed. So here, with Tawheed in our minds, in our hearts, on our tongues, every good deed has the potential to be raised. And without Tawheed, good deeds aren't raised, which is Aqeedah. So the good deed is going to be on the back of a good word, a good code. The word, word referring to a code. It's a code. It's a code of life. It's a code of how to see the world. It's a worldview. It's an aqidah. It's an established principle and reality in the cosmos and within the human psyche also. So these good words that are firmly implanted in the minds of good uh, people and in their conscience, their good words allow their good deeds to be raised and if they have a khabith tree, which is an evil tree, an evil word, then their good deeds will fall flat on their faces. Their good deeds may have some effect, impact in this world, very limited, albeit, but they will not be raised to the heavens. So the issue here is that when you are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you want to worship your God and you have a deen, you have a religion, then you want to be accepted. Acceptance is twofold. One is that the nature of your ibadah and worship is eligible for acceptance in the first place. That is the good word, la ilaha illallah, tawheed. Meaning by, by, by nature and by definition, the good word is eligible for acceptance. So it rises itself towards the heaven. The second is that the good deed is accepted by Allah and by the angels. So that potential uh, is determined, first of all, by the kalima tayyibah. And the second part is how much ikhlas and how much niyyah and how much sincerity a person has when they're performing the good deed. So here the Quran makes a distinction between good words and good deeds. So the good word is called tayyib, meaning pure in essence pure in fitrah, pure in its natural uh, propensities and natural uh, essence. Yeah. And the good deeds, they may come and go, 
So a good deed may be performed by a person who doesn't have tawheed, as we all know. Charity is always a good deed, as we say, right? Honesty is a good deed. Uh, being kind and being generous and patient is also a good deed. So these are good deeds. But these good deeds, in order for them to have an impact in your favor on the day of judgment, need eligibility. That eligibility comes only from the kalima tayyibah, from la ilaha illallah. And that is what is mentioned here in this ayah. So those people who may do good deeds to perpetuate evil. Right? That is the meaning of yamkurun, that they plot and they scheme. So sometimes people give charity and people give aid and people do this and people do that. But it's not necessarily from a platform of sincerity. It's not necessarily from the platform of uh, being genuine and being kind and generous in the true sense of the word. So this is why their good deeds turn into bad deeds. So they will fall back on their heels and on the day of judgment they will be faced with a very severe punishment. So this is now two issues. One is the intrinsic value of a human being's conscience. And number two, the intrinsic value of the good deed that human beings perform. If by definition you have tawheed and you believe in Allah and you believe in resurrection, and you believe in prophethood, then you have good words in you, you have a good code, a code of behavior, a code of being. Yeah? Then you have a code of ethics, and a code of morals, and a code of action, and so on. So this ayah is filled with many insights into how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises the ranks of those people who do good deeds so that they benefit from their good deeds after they die. That's the key. If you do good deeds to benefit from your good deeds in this world, then you are scheming and plotting. You're deceiving yourself and you're trying to deceive God. That's not a good deed. Okay. Invariably, your good deed will have good effects on you because that's the nature of a good deed. Okay. But if your niya is that you just want the dunya, then as the Prophet said, actions are governed by the niya. It could be hijrah. If you make hijrah for the dunya, that's what you'll get. That's what the Prophet said. Right. So now we see that uh, we, 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 in this world view of human beings becoming humanitarian or agnostic or atheist or whatever. All this is limited to the dunya, to the world. It's not a cosmological reality that we can actually give it some weight that in the whole scheme of reality as it exists in, on this planet and outside, in the galaxies, in the Milky Way, and the Arsh, and the Kursi, beyond that, that it has a significant value. Okay. So kufr and shirk and uh, atheism, they have no value in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Period. And that is a, a, a very essential point in the development of the Muslim psyche, and in development of Muslim leadership. Okay. Yeah. Because Allah then says that that the, the plotting and scheming of these people uh, is deemed to be ruined. It is deemed for destruction. 
and it is going to be self-destructive, yabur. So whenever people simply want the pleasure or domination in the world, then that is a scheme and a plot that the devil inspires, insinuates in their minds, and they do everything based on that niya. So their niya drives them to do what they do. All the scheming, plotting, uh, anti-Muslim, anti-Islam, anti-Sharia, anti-whatever. Right. Those schemes. But Allah is saying to the believer that this scheme is uh, short-lived. And if our focus is simply to be popular in this world and to gain access to glory in this world, then we are doomed also. We also do. So our niya should be to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala both in this world and the world hereafter. The issue is the world hereafter is delayed. Akhirah. Akhirah is delayed. So that you won't get your glory if it's delayed here. You have to wait for it. And for that you have to die. And if you're willing to die to wait for your glory, then you're a good Muslim. And if you're not willing to die for the sake of glory, then you're not a good Muslim. Then it's part of the makar. It's part of the plotting and the scheming. It's part of that devilish uh, approach to life that we want everything here. So now, what happens is that when your good deeds are raised, they are accepted. And the effect of your acceptance is that your good deeds will give you benefit for eternity. One subhanallah will give you bliss for eternity, as the Prophet said. For eternity. So this is how Allah subhanahu brings barakah into the mindset, the conscious, the psyche of the person who sees Allah as his focus, who sees Tawheed as his uh, world view and world value, and who sees the Prophet as his role model. Then you don't have too much to worry about. Yeah, in the world. Where are Muslims going? Oh, they're, they're going to Jannah, inshallah. But they don't have a plan. They don't have an economic plan. They don't have this plan. And they don't have a, a political platform upon which they can establish this and that. But that's all limited to the dunya, brother. Even if you establish, mashallah, khilafah, that khilafah has to be accepted. Is there a guarantee that you are accepted? Yeah, Allah says no. The good deed Allah raises. Allah has to accept the good deed so that he brings barakah to that good deed in the akhirah. Not just in the dunya. It's a question of how you focus. So a Muslim's focus, focus is based on his vision. And the vision is always the akhirah. The focus can be the dunya. There's no harm in focusing on the dunya as long as the vision is there. When you lose sight of your vision, then it doesn't matter where you focus, here or there, because you won't get to your destination or the destination Allah wants you to get to. Then it's part of the scheme. You're scheming, and you're plotting against yourself. You're plotting against the ummah. You're plotting against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the, the uh, basic understanding of this ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Mm. 
ولا تحمل من أنثى ولا تضع إلا بعلمه وما يعمر من معمر ولا ينقص من عمره إلا في كتاب إن ذلك على الله a world view about man and man's creation. So man's creation began in this world from Turab, from dust, from dirt. Then it was from a, a sperm drop, a nutfa. Right? Being Adam was created from Turab, and his uh, offspring, they were all created through a different process. So the process by which Allah created Adam is different and separate from the process that Allah created his progeny. So when you went to go into uh, what's known as, what's it called? Mm. Evolution. <laughs> right. So this settles the score. The process by which Allah creates Adam is different and separate from the process by which Allah creates Adam's offspring. So Adam is the prototype. Right. And then the question of the chicken and the egg is resolved. The chicken always comes first. Then the egg. Right. The prototype comes first. Then the seeds come later. Um, that's the rule. Because Allah is fatil. Allah creates without a prototype. So he creates the prototype. Then he generates more and more and more from that one prototype as a sign of his tawheed that he creates from one so many that are similar. Right? Then he renders them into so many different types and so many different groups and so many different pairs. Then you get pairs and pairs of, different, of, of one species and that's how then life goes through procreation. But initial life comes from the creation of Allah and then the secondary life comes from a process that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes by rule. Now you can't say that we will create any man from dust. You can say that you'll create man from your IV. Right? You can do that. Can you create man from dust? No. Why? Because that is God's role. You can't do God's role. So Allah subhanahu's role was to create Adam from what? Not from the nutfa, but from turab, from dust. And then Adam's role was to procreate from the nutfa, from the sperm. So that's how you do the cosmos and the ontology of how creation of man works. Then once there is the nutfa in the womb, when the sperm drop is there implanted in the egg and the, the, the creation of in the womb of the womb takes over, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything there is to know about what is being carried. Okay. Yeah. That no female carries anything, nor does she deliver anything except that Allah knows it, except with Allah's knowledge. So these, this doesn't necessarily just mean the uh, gender. Uh, the gender issue is no longer an issue because we are now a gender. Right? Modern day society has made us a gender. None gender. That was very foolish. But this refers to the destiny of the uh, 
the fetus. Mm. Allah's knowledge is comprehensive. It's not just that it's a particular detail about the fetus that Allah knows. Yes, he knows the, uh, the detail of the sex, male or female. Okay, that's a given, but that's a particular detail. Here, the word ma refers to the complete comprehensive knowledge of what that fetus is going to do, where it's going to end up, etc., etc. That is only in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which Allah says at the end of the ayah. And likewise, that uh, no one who is going to be given a long life and no one whose life is going to be restricted and shortened is there except that it is pre-recorded except it's in the book that is in the Loha Mahfud, it is in the heavens Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written the lifespan of every human being who is going to live. So, in the creation of man you have first the creation of Adam and then of Hawa and then the procreation of his and of their offspring and their offspring in the womb Allah knows beforehand what their destiny is going to be and Allah has recorded their destiny in a book in the heavens and that's the cosmological reality that the Quran brings to the human psyche that even in the cosmos we have rules whether it's on earth or in the heavens. So even in the heavens our deeds are recorded. Indeed all of this is easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing is difficult for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do. He does this with great ease. But it's to show the, the element of Tawheed, how Allah created all of these human beings from one man and from one woman, and how he recorded all of their deeds and their destinies and their aspirations and everything else in the heavenly book so that on the day of judgment uh, there is a record of that also so that human beings may prepare for the afterlife and for the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge is fixed about the lifespan of a human being so that we, we can't change. However, since we don't know what that lifespan is, we are encouraged to do uh, deeds that um, extend our lives. We don't know that. I mean, Allah subhanahu knows that this person, Zaid, is going to live for 70 years and two months. Allah knows. But does Zaid know he's going to live for 70 years and two months? No. So what is... Zaid supposed to do. So Zaid is supposed to do everything that prolongs his life, extends his life. He can't say, well, Allah knows when I'm going to die. But that, that's his knowledge. You don't know anything. So you must do everything that extends your life. And that's the meaning of this ayah. That is according to the action of human beings. Life may have barakah and it may not have barakah. Life may be extended somewhat and may, may not be extended somewhat. So these hadith in which the Prophet said that if you wish your life to be extended, then do this. Refers to the actions of human beings 
it does not refer to the knowledge of Allah because that Allah already knows that whoever wishes that his life is ex uh, extended uh, or his name is given more reputation and fame then he should be kind and generous towards his relatives this is the deed that does this for you now one is that your life is given barakah that is one meaning the other meaning is that that according to the calculation of the angels you should die because that's where your deeds are taking you but that knowledge Allah doesn't give to the angels that knowledge he keeps to himself so in the eyes of the angels then your life is extended because you do this good deed that's why dua always helps and you when you are sick and you have people make dua and you make dua yourself your duas are sometimes hmm, accepted and you live a few years a few years longer a few decades longer right but that has to do with the the deed of the human being it has nothing to do with Allah's knowledge you must keep the two realms separate sometimes we confuse the issue of destiny by inserting our knowledge with Allah's knowledge which is shirk that's shirk we don't do that Allah's knowledge is there it's absolute and permanent our knowledge is severely impeded handicapped and limited and we don't know anything about ourselves anyway so we are encouraged to do by sharia whatever helps us live better and live longer in this world that is one of the precepts of Sharia that you're supposed to do this so good deeds always increase uh, your barakah in your life and sometimes it may even increase your knowledge if that knowledge is with the angels so the angels may decide for you that you should die uh, because you're a rotten scoundrel you're just a rascal okay? you're good for nothing nobody you don't deserve to live anymore then all of a sudden you do a good deed you help somebody you make dua or you go to the masjid and you make tawbah and then suddenly the angels said okay let's open the door for him so they open the door for you right this is how it happens this is what it means this is easy for Allah subhanahu to do this so we should be grateful Allah subhanahu has given us this knowledge وما يستوي البحران هذا عذب فرات سائق شرابه وهذا ملح أجاج ومن كل تأكلون لحما طريا وتستخرجون حلية تلبسونها وترى الفلك فيه مواخرة لتبتغوا من فضله ولعلكم تشكرون. Then discussing all the ni'am and the blessings and gifts of Allah subhanahu wa taala, you are going to have those blessings that are terrestrial. In the sense that they occur on land, and they are going to have those blessings that are celestial, that occur in the heavens, and those blessings that are marinal, blessings that relate to the sea, because most of the planet is what? Water. Three quarters of our planet is just water. So there must be some benefit in the water Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So Allah brings up this ayah 
to show that we have not neglected the ni'am, the blessings of the water that uh, keep you going. So this is how you see the bigger picture of this ayah, to show that there are so many ni'amat and blessings that you find in the seas, in the oceans, in the rivers, and elsewhere, that is mind-boggling that the Qur'an actually depicts these ni'am with such precision and shows man that although man lives on land, man needs the sea just as much as he needs the land. Mm. So the two seas and the two kinds of waters, they are not the same. Two seas meaning the salt and the sweet. So there is salt and there is sweet. So there are rivers and there are seas and oceans and it could be the warm water and also the cold water. But it refers to the sweet and the bitter as you can see from this ayat. This one here is sweet and it is pleasant to drink. Sweet and fresh. Uh, very, very pleasant to drink. And the other one is very salty and very acrid. And it is very, very bitter. So now, two types of water Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. One is sea water, which is salty, and the other is fresh water, that is sweet. One you drink with and you use, and the other you cannot do without either. And from each source of water, whether it's sweet or fresh water, whether it's sea water, uh, you will find that you eat fresh meat, meaning fish. The phrase that the Quran uses for fish, because fish is the meat of the ocean. You know? Not the other stuff that you eat. Uh, anything that is not fish is not fresh meat. Uh, that's why Abu Hanifa says, uh, you can't eat it. You don't meat, so don't eat it. Lahman refers to a species that it had it lived on land, you would ha have to make dhibah of it. Right? But since this one doesn't live on land and it dies in the sea, you don't need to make dhibah and you don't need to slaughter it and you don't need to say bismillah when you fish it. When you're fishing the fish from the ocean, you don't say Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. That's not a prerequisite. That's the kalluf. Eat the thing. Just uh, grill it and eat it. Cook it and eat it. Don't wait for the Bismillah. It's lahman tariyan. It is fresh meat. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hosts the people of Jannah, Allah make us from them. Inshallah, what will he feed first? You know? Allah will feed the people of Jannah fish first. Ah. <laughs> Those of you who like fish, yeah, get over it. You need to eat fish so that you have an appetite for the rest of the food in Jannah. So here Allah says, from each type of water, it doesn't matter which type of water the fish is in, you will enjoy the meat. Lahman tariya. You eat from there both types of food. And you uh, extract and take out from there jewelry. Jewelry that you wear. 
yeah, ornaments that you bring out, meaning the pearls and everything else that comes out from the sea, that you use those for your ornaments and for your jewelry and so on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that we have given you provision from the land and we have given you provision from the sea. Right? And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's that He can create land animals and He can create sea animals from both from which both you seek benefit and so on. From the sea animals you will find means of ornament which is a testimony to the fadila of the fish. Because the fish lives in the sea, fadila of the sea also. Yeah. Although you do get ornaments from uh, certain bones, from certain animals and hides and so on, right? but you know the, the elephant tusk for instance, ivory is a means of ornament. But you'll be, you, you'll be stretching your imagination to find any major types of ornament from land animals. Right? So Allah subhanahu creation in the sea gives you this uh, sense of ornament, sense of decoration that you seek to wear also. And then you will see, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi now the, the pronoun has changed. The narrative now changes from the uh, third person to the second person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now directly addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he says that you will see, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi the ships plowing, mawakhira, cutting through the waves. Mawakhir means to cut. Like a knife cuts through butter, you would see that the the, uh, the ships they cut through the waves. That's the tashbih and the, the similarity that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is is coining here. Litabtabu min so that you may seek from His uh, fadl, from His bounty, so that through by shipping and by uh, traveling via the ship <coughs> and the boat and the canoe. Uh, you are able to get from one place to another and you're able to carry food stuff and supplies and stock from one place to another and you're able to do this cargo uh, business throughout the world because you have uh, the ability to now navigate the land and navigate the sea. Since most of the world is covered by water and by sea, you see that most of the transportation occurs via sea, although you have the air. And the planes that carry carry cargo also, but the very very heavy cargo is still carried by the ship. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala this is a fadl of Allah that you're able to do this. I mean, part of Allah's creation is that He creates the means by which you may live and live better. And that is Allah's fadl for you and on you. And so that you may give thanks. So these inamat, these gifts and bounties Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. So they are now terrestrial and they are marinal. In the marinal, so sea-based uh, ni'am, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to live and live better so that you may give thanks. And that is how we see the tawheed of Allah playing, uh, not so that you may exploit each other. La'allakum tashkurun, you thank Allah for this ni'amah, not that you start to capitalize and manipulate and exploit 
and you go through piracy and you have diplomatic <coughs> ties and treaties that show there's more official piracy. There's unofficial piracy and there's official piracy. Right? So official piracy is very uh, sophisticated. All these great things, unfortunately, that human beings have done. Mm. Mass exploitation of people. Anyway, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Give thanks to Allah for the ni'mah. Not that you use these means as uh, an end to justify your exploitative, exploitative nature and your rules and your regulations and so on. Anyway, there are the rules for the uh, sea in Islam also, as there are rules for the land in our fiqh also. يُولِجُ اللَّيْلَ فِي النَّهَارِ يُولِجُ النَّهَارَ فِي اللَّيْلِ وَسَخْرَ الشَّمْسِ وَالْقَمَرِ كُلَّنْ يَجْرِي لِأَجَلِ مُسَمَّةِ ذَلِكُمُ اللَّهُ رَبَّكُمْ لَهُ الْمُلْكِ وَالَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِنْ دُونِهِ مَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِنْ قِطْمِيرِ مِنْ قِطْمِيرِ This is now the celestial ni'am, blessings that I alluded to. So you have blessings on land, blessings on the sea, blessings now in the air, in the heavens. This is how the comprehensive approach of the Qur'an brings down this cosmological reality of man. So this is about man. Why has Allah done all this? This is to support man and to enable man to be more grateful and to worship Allah and to appreciate his oneness. That he makes the night penetrate into the day. That he allows the night to insert itself into the day. And he allows the day to insert itself into the night. So there's, there's uh, you know, you have when you insert something into an envelope. Okay, that's called ilaj. It also means penetration. Uh, but I think there's more subtle definition to the word ilaj, which is in reference to this day and night changing where the earth rotates uh, and you see how that night comes into the day and the day comes into night with great ease. That's the point. It's so easy that if you were to do this mechanically then you wouldn't have an earth. You couldn't make this happen mechanically. You can have a robot do this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation is always with subtlety and with great might and power. And this is how Allah's ni'am is, is, is expressed. And then he has subjugated the sun and the moon you know, for our needs and for our purposes that the sun goes this way and the sun moves this way and then the earth, the, the moon also uh, goes through its its mansions and its, its uh, phases, and that is all for the benefit of man. Yeah. Allah created everything in the heavens and the earth for the benefit of man. Everything runs according to its stated term, to its time. So the, the, the time for sunrise and sunset is set, and the time for the phase of the moon, they also, that's also set, and the, the time for the motion of the sun from one mansion to another. Because the sun also moves, as we all know. <laughs> the sun is not static. You know that the sun is fixed position there, it's also moving. It's a celestial body.
body, so all celestial bodies, they move. And they move in their dimensions, they move in their phases. And this is how we see all the rules of astronomy come into play here. So that Allah subhanahu has given this knowledge to human beings so that human beings may regulate their lives according to the sun and the moon. That's how it's regulated. This is all <coughs> this is a cosmological phenomenon that human beings have yet to manipulate. <laughs> we haven't been able to manipulate this yet. No? Not yet. So this is beyond us at the moment. Allah has subjugated the sun and the moon so that it, it regulates the according to its time, musamma, a fixed time. So the fixed uh, appropriations of the sun and the moon and the stars allow human beings to navigate and negotiate their lives in such a way that is pleasing to them. And that's how we see now the celestial beings and the celestial ni'am blessings coming down to earth, literally. Mm. This is your Lord, Allah, or this is Allah who is your Lord. It is only for him that the dominion is the kingdom and sovereignty only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Those whom you call besides him, they own nothing, not even a seed, a coat. Qitmir. Qitmir is the, the outer, uh, what's, it, what's it called? Hmm? Skin of a seed. The outer skin of a seed is called qitmir, of a date stone. You know, when you have a date and you take off the, the, uh, you know, the skin. And that is called qitmir. Allah subhanahu is using this to show uh, that they don't own even that. Nobody owns anything except Allah subhanahu wa Allah subhanahu controls, except that his control is regulated by time and space. Okay. Muslims may quote these ayat and assume that Allah will give them victory. Yeah. But Allah won't give them victory if you don't follow the rules of time and space. You have to follow the rules of time and space for that victory to come, even on this planet. So sovereignty belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you call anyone besides Allah to help, where they can't help, then you are a fool. Yeah. This is basically what the ayahs say. No one can help you except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether it's in the heavens, or on earth, or on the sea, or in the sea, only Allah can help you. Okay. That is your tawheed. Now, how do you regulate this? You regulate it according to the rules of that domain. So there are rules of the sea, there are rules of the land, and there are rules of the heavens. All of those follow their specific rules. When you operate, you operate within those rules. That is part of your tawheed. You can't operate outside of those rules and expect Allah to change those rules because you are Muslim. That doesn't happen. That's what it means by lahul mulk. To him alone belongs the sovereignty. Okay. So he has a sovereignty over the rules and laws that he has used to regulate time and space. He won't change that in this world because this is the way the, this world works. So Muslims must abide by the rules of the domain in which they operate.
And if they don't, then they will lose. And that is unfortunately one of the reasons where, why, where, why we are where we are. We don't operate within the rules. Right? Allah's help will come. When will it come? When you do what's needed on the ground. You can't ask Allah to bring down help when the circumstances on the ground are not conducive for Allah's help. You want to plant a tree. So what do you do? You know, take the seed and put it there on the ground and say, Allah, I'll make this seed grow. So you got to plant the seed. I have the seed. No use. No use you having the seed. The qitmir is referring to this. Is no use you having the seed. You have to plant the seed. And where do you plant it? Where is it going to be conducive to grow? And then what do you do after you plant the seed? Just leave it. Yeah, take care of it. That's time and space. You have to take care of it. Oh, you have a plan. There's no use of you having a plan until you execute it. And after you execute it, you still have to take care of it. Right. So Allah's help will come. It doesn't come that way. This subjugation of the, the sun and the moon refers to the ability of man uh, uh, whereby he uses those rules of subjugation to bring about an effect. So if you don't use those rules, apply those rules, Allah's help will not come. In this world, you may be rewarded for your efforts and your sincerity, but it doesn't come that way. Anyway, what I'm saying is, is, is in the interest of Tawheed, Tawheed from the heavens to the earth is there, Tawheed in Allah's creation is there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is or a sign of his ni'am, of his blessings and his sovereignty and his kingdom and everything else. But at the same time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants human beings to engage within the rules of operation. If they do that, then there will be some effects. Some good and some bad. And if they don't, then there will be no effect. So basically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Those whom you call besides Allah, there are two types of calling. One is that you worship others besides Allah. You worship a god, a false god, or you worship an idol, or you worship a stone, or you worship this and that. Okay. Or you worship an idol that is a human being. Or you worship a system as an idol, that this is the system that works and so on. Right. You worship a political system, you worship an ideology, or you worship a figure, or you worship a personality. That's one application of this those whom you call besides Allah, they own nothing. That's the apparent application. There's another application which I was referring to. And that application is that that you, you want to bring about a, a change to a divine system that the divine himself doesn't allow. Right. How do you want to procreate? Man, woman, get married, and you procreate. Okay, that's a divine system, isn't it? You can't say to somebody that, I'm not going to get married, but Allah, give me children. Can you say that? No. That happened only to whom? 
There have been two people, Adam Hawa and Maryam. Right? And that's just to show that Allah is able to do that also. He's able to change that system for whatever reason he changes. But the, uh, the rest of human beings must go through that system of man, woman, marriage, procreate. Because you're Muslim, you can't say, I'm not going to have a woman, I'm not going to have a man, but I want children. That doesn't work. Then Allah's help doesn't come. That's the example I gave of, of the seed and then uh, planting the seed and plowing the seed and taking care of the seed. The same thing. So this is another way to uh, understand that sometimes we call upon ideas and ideals that don't fit into the divine plan. So if you want Nusra in this world, you must have, first of all, a plan. A plan that is realistic and practical. And then you must execute it. And after you execute it, you must take care of it. Because taking care of that execution is much longer than the actual planting of the seed. Is I, I planted the seed now, I'm going to leave it to God. Well, God will say, okay, fine, leave it to me. <laughs> it won't grow. Because that's the rule of time and space. That's how Allah has regulated this domain. So in this domain, this is what Allah wants you to do. So as long as you do what Allah wants you to do, Allah will send help. But if you don't do that, then it doesn't matter how you do things, or what you do, or what you don't do, that help is not coming. Now, the intention of those people may be very sincere, and they may be rewarded for their intention, but that's about it. Then nothing else there. You want to create a change in the ummah, then you have to make sure the ummah changes first. How do you change the ummah? You've got to change the ummah. Then you have to change the thinking, the psyche of the ummah. First of all, the focus is here, but the vision is the akhirah. That's the first thing you have to change. Now, if the vision is not the akhirah, and the focus is the dunya, then there's no change coming to the ummah because the, the ummah is now part of another system. That system is called the system of kufr. And you can't bring Islam in a system of kufr, where if Muslims uh, say that they have everything in the world, which is what they do here in this country, Allah give us small with barakah, but if the vision is not there, then it doesn't matter what you do and who you are, the help of Allah will not come for the Muslim, and the Muslim part of the Muslim, not the non-Muslim part of the Muslim. The non-Muslim part, <coughs> meaning that which is neutral. Sometimes uh, things that are non-Muslim are not exactly anti-Muslim. You have to be careful there. They're just neutral. I mean the dunya. The dunya is neutral. A good house, a good car, a good job, a good education. These are neutral values. They are neither Islamic nor un-Islamic. They have really no value in our construct, in our worldview. They are ni'mah if you use them the way they're supposed to be used, but they can become a ni'mah and a burden if they're not used the way they're supposed to be used. So that becomes indifferent. They remain indifferent, and they re hence they remain mubah. In the fiqhi terminology, they remain indifferent. There's no real value to that. We don't have a value to those issues here. 
in this surah, in Surah Al-Fatir, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that he creates without a prototype. And once he creates the prototype himself, you must now value that prototype in order to gain success in this world and the world hereafter. The prototype human being is a Nabi. Right? That Nabi yeah, started from Adam and came to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So Nabuwa is the prototype for all human beings to follow. If you follow Nabuwa and you follow prophethood, then you'll be successful in the big picture. The big picture is this world and the world hereafter. But the world hereafter is significantly greater than this world. So your attachment, your conscious attachment to this world must be significantly uh, appropriate with that significant difference. So if the akhirah is 99% and the world is 1%, then your attachment to the akhirah must be 99%. And your attachment to dunya must be one percent, not the other way around. Right? Hopefully this makes sense. But I'm saying that the prototype is based on Tawheed, is based on Risala Muhammad. Once we value that prototype, as the rest of the surah will confirm, inshallah, then we will see there is success for us in both worlds. We'll see you all soon. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah.